you, Santosh, for for reading that. Uh, during a wedding rehearsal, the groom approached the priest with an unusual offer. Look, I'll give you a hundred dollar bill if you change the wedding vows. When you get the part where I'm supposed to promise to love, honor and obey and be faithful to my wife forever, I'd really like it if you just, you know, leave that out. He passed the minister a hundred dollar bill and walked away satisfied. On the day of the wedding, when it came, time for the groom's vows, the priest looked at the young man in the eye and said, Will you promise to bow down before her, obey her every command and wish serve and serve her breakfast in bed every morning of your life and swear eternally before God and your lovely wife that you will never even look at another woman as long as you both shall live? The groom gulped and looked around and said in a tiny voice, Yes, I do. And then leaned toward the priest and hissed, I thought we had a deal. The priest put a hundred dollar bill into the groom's hand and whispered, She made me a better offer. Jokes apart, it is easy to talk about how untrustworthy man is. But let me ask us a question. What about God? Can God be trusted? This was the question the serpent asked Adam and Eve. This was the question that wrecked the nation of Israel. And this is the question that wreaks havoc in our own lives, isn't it? Anxiety, sexual immorality, pride, greed, anger, covetousness, lying and idolatry can all be traced back to whether or not we trust God. We sin because we think God cannot be trusted. We sin because we think God is a liar. Remember what Ben spoke of last week, our hope in, in Habakkuk chapter 2, 14, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. God does all things for his glory and our hope is in that glory of God. But if God cannot be trusted, he is not glorious. He is not holy and we have no hope and all of Christianity is futile. So the question that must be answered is this. It is a question about God's reputation. It is a question of eternal significance. Can God be trusted? The first step, if we were to answer that question, lies in, in looking back at, at all that we've done so far as a church, in, in seeing God's purposes. We saw that, that God structured his relationship with humanity through covenants. And we saw that covenants are a chosen relationship in which two parties make binding promises to each other. And as we studied the covenants or as we studied the whole story of, of the Bible, we understand Yahweh's heart and God's purposes. And if God's purposes are good and loving, it means that at least God's motives are good and, and he is trustworthy at least in terms of his motives. So let's start with that. What, what were those covenants with Yahweh? If you remember, the first was that with Adam. We get a glimpse of, of, <clears throat> of God's purposes here. God creates mankind and gives them the calling to have a relationship with him 
and rule over the whole earth as the image of God. And as they are fruitful and as they multiply and as they continue bearing God's image, as they continue reflecting God, they, <clears throat> they were to fill the whole earth with the glory of God. To put it in other words, we as humanity were called to make the earth a place of holiness, a dwelling place for God, a place where his presence might dwell forever as our relationship with him grew. And then we saw how miserably we failed right at the start. And although we deserved to be wiped out, God shows incredible mercy by not only preserving them, but promising ultimate redemption through, if you remember, the seed of the woman. Remember this idea of the seed as we go forward. So humanity, instead of filling the earth with God's glory and God's presence, fills the earth with corruption. And God, again, in undeserved grace, preserves humanity through a man named Noah and repeats to Noah what he said to Adam. Humanity through Noah now is preserved to rule and to fill the earth with the glory of God. Noah and his descendants fail too. It's not surprising. God then chooses Abraham and promises Abraham land, blessing and a seed through whom all humanity is blessed. In other words, God promises to turn the curse upside down. God's purpose still stands. But how God is going to achieve that begins to take more concrete shape. <coughs> then we saw the nation of Israel come out of Egypt and God makes a conditional covenant with the descendants of Abraham in which land-centered blessings and curses are pronounced, conditional on their obedience. If they obey, they have blessing in the land. If they disobey, they stand cursed in the land and are finally kicked out of the land. And this covenant was in effect until an ultimate seed of Abraham came. Israel was called to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation under God's rule so that other nations might come and see and trust Yahweh. We saw what happened after that. Israel goes into gross idolatry and cycles of sin and repentance continue. It should have irritated us over the last several months that we've seen this, that Israel is just going on and on and on with the same cycle. And in this period, God makes his promise to Abraham more specific. He gives kingship over Israel to a man named David and his anointed seed through which all humanity is blessed. In other words, the blessings promised to Abraham are now going to be mediated by this descendant of David, who will be like a royal son of God, who will rule and live forever. And more than that, this king is also going to be a priest, not a Levitical priest who dies and goes, but a greater priest who will live and intercede forever after the order, if you remember what Kishore said, after the order of Melchizedek. And now through this king, all the nations were going to be blessed. He will be called the servant of the Most High, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. And under his rule, there will be incredible peace in the world. And under his rule, the earth was going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. 
Can God be trusted? Look at God's purposes. God created humanity to reflect who God was as they grew to love and enjoy Him. God's purpose was for the earth to be filled with people who loved and enjoyed and reflected God forever. We saw in Habakkuk last week, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God, the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. God wanted to dwell with humanity forever and fill the earth with his presence. And if you know Psalm 1611, that says in his presence, there is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. I'm reminded of the Sunday school student who said, God is like this huge ice cream that just comes and says, come and eat me. Can God be trusted though? We see God's purposes in all that he does. God's purpose is always his glory and our greatest good. But take a look at where Israel is now. Turn with me, and, and this will be on the screen, uh, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 16 to 21. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols with which they defiled it. I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed through the countries. In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name in that people said of them, these are the people of Yahweh. And yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Soon after, Israel and Judah increasingly grows more and more corrupt. Their kings, including the Davidic descendants, lead the way in corruption. Israel and her kings utterly fail. They miserably fail to keep the Mosaic Covenant. And that in turn present, prevented the blessings of the Abrahamic Covenant to be enjoyed. And thus they made a mockery of Yahweh. Instead of filling the earth with God's glory, they profaned it. The result? The curses of the Mosaic Covenant, famine, pestilence, destruction. In short, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, were vomited out of the land. First the northern kingdom of Israel and then the southern kingdom of Judah were exiled. Now again, it is easy to say that, you know, they, they deserve what they got and, and they did deserve what they got. But can God really be trusted? How can you ask such a thing? Remember that covenant that we mentioned during worship this morning, the, the covenant that God made with Abraham. Remember the promises that God had made? A seed, a land and blessing. The seed was to come from the house of David, but take a look. No seed. The Davidic king was exiled. No land. They were kicked out. No blessing. Only the curses of the Mosaic Covenant along with the curses given at the fall. And remember that through the seed of Abraham, all nations were supposed to be blessed. No seed, no land, no blessing. How is that going to happen? Can God really be trusted? <coughs> Hear what God himself says. 
keep your finger in Ezekiel 36 and uh, I'll read verse 22 onward. But I had concern for my holy name is what we read earlier. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, for, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. And, you have and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am Yahweh, declares the Lord God, when through you I will vindicate my holiness before their eyes. God is about to act. God is about to act for the sake of his name and his holiness. God is going to showcase who he is, not just to Israel, but to all nations. Israel could not keep the Mosaic Covenant. Israel, instead of being a holy nation, were a profane nation. And instead of being a kingdom of priests, they were a kingdom of prostitutes. The problem was not with God. The problem was and still is us. We couldn't be trusted. So God makes promises. Building on the promises that he had already made to Abraham and David, perhaps if we see these promises, they will help us see whether, you know, God can be trusted. I include the passage in Deuteronomy that, that you'll see shortly to show that this, this plan of God was from the beginning, but we'll just skip that and read a more famous one that, that uh, Santosh read for us Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 31 and 32 behold the days are coming declares Yahweh when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah not like the old covenant not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt my covenant that they broke though I was their husband declares the Lord do you see the new covenant is not like the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant. It's, it's not like the Mosaic covenant. It's not like the law which was made when Israel was brought out of Egypt. But then why make a new covenant? Why replace the old covenant that, that God made with Moses and Israel? What was wrong with it? The answer is right there in Jeremiah. My covenant that they broke. The fault was not with the covenant, the fault was not with God, the fault was with a broken, wretched, sinful people. We humans were the problem. And the easy answer is to get rid of the problem. Wipe out the people, destroy the people, but that's not what God does. Con let's continue reading Jeremiah 31 and, and I'm reading from 33. For this is the covenant, this new covenant, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. And I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and say to each of each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Because I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Destroy the people? No. I am going to fix them permanently. They can't keep my law? No problem. I'm going to write it in their hearts. They can't have a relationship with me? I'll sort that out. I will be their God and they will be my people and all of them 
will know me and love me intimately from the least of them to the greatest. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. Why? Why? Because, you see that for at the end? Because I will forgive their sins. A heart that loves the Lord and kept God's law. Rooted in the forgiveness of sins. If this was the case, then blessing was possible. And that was what God was promising. Take a look at the next chapter in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 32. And I'll just read uh, the highlighted bit at the end. And they shall be my people, repeating what God said earlier, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever, forever, for their good, for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. You don't get it more explicitly than that. God with all his heart and all his soul is going to rejoice in doing good to his sinful people. Can God be trusted? His purposes are infinitely good and loving. We just saw that. And these good purposes are seen in these incredible promises. Let's take a look at Ezekiel 36 and 37. Now this is a huge passage. So uh, I'd really encourage you to read it for yourself. But I'm just going to summarize it. Uh, we leave the passage in the slides highlighted for you to see. But here's the summary. If you read Ezekiel 36 and 37, you'll see this. You see that God will make an everlasting covenant with his people. You see that God will cleanse and forgive his people. You see that God will give them a new heart that is able to obey him fully. So much so that God will put his Holy Spirit in them. There would be a Davidic king that will rule not a divided kingdom but a united kingdom and bring about total peace and global peace. This king will also be a leader of the people, a shepherd to the nation and, and lead the nation into obedience. God will bring his faithful people to the land and cause abundant prosperity in the land. God will bring about resurrection from the dead to live forever. God will work ultimately for the sake of his name which was profaned by this sinful nation. And God will dwell in their midst forever like never before. All nations as a result will know Yahweh because of all that he does. There is so much more in the Old Testament. You can just go on reading it like Psalm 72. Isaiah 9, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 65. I've left them in the PPT. Again, you can read them later. But let me just summarize what uh, God promises in Jeremiah and Ezekiel together under this banner of the new covenant and in, on, in the rest of the Old Testament. During the exile, we saw that it looked like none of the promises made to Abraham were fulfilled. No land, no seed, no blessing. Let's take a look at them again. 
First, the seed. The king was exiled, we saw that. The throne was empty, no sign of David's descendant. And God now promises that a day will come when a great Davidic king will sit on the throne again in Jerusalem. All nations will be blessed through this Davidic king who will be a priest and also rule forever. And he will rule over not just Israel and Judah, but he will bring peace across all nations, peace with Israel and all nations and ultimately peace with Yahweh himself. Massive reconciliation. And it will be through this Davidic king that God will mediate all the blessings that were promised to Abraham. The promise of seed still stands. What about land? After the exile, we see that God will bring faithful Israel back into the land to live there forever. Note that this is not just any Israelite or any person of Jewish descent, but only those that are circumcised in heart, those that are faithful to Yahweh. God would transform their hearts and the whole land will be filled only with those that are faithful to Yahweh. They will all know me from the least to the greatest. The land will be at peace with its neighbors, totally unlike the situation right now. And how? Through this great Davidic king. He is the center of all of this, the seed of Abraham who sits on the throne. And finally, blessing. When God promised blessing to Abraham, it was somewhat vague. Now, God kind of builds on it to a much greater degree. First, <clears throat> God promises forgiveness of sin and permanent cleansing from iniquity. Forgiveness of sin. Second, God promises a new heart that is indwelt by God himself, the Holy Spirit. This is unlike the Mosaic Covenant where, where the law was on the outside. Now the law is inside becoming the very basis by which people live. And along with this new heart, God also promises God himself, God the Holy Spirit, a clean heart, God's Holy Spirit indwelling people like never before, permanently. It will be God himself that now empowers humanity from the inside out. God empowers humanity with himself. God's infinite power is working to continue loving God, to, to enable people to continue loving God. This means that not only is sin dealt with, forgiveness of sin, but there is no chance of sin showing up again. And as the Davidic king, this is promise number three, forgiveness of sins, a new heart indwelt by God's spirit. And now as the Davidic king ruled the faithful Israelites in the land, they would enjoy the abundant prosperity of the land and will have peace all around them. This in turn meant that all nations around them also had peace with Israel. No more wars, no more religious separation, no more futility, but harmony and enjoyment. Hence, this is also called a covenant of peace, mediated by the seed who is called the Prince of Peace. Imagine the whole earth looking like the Garden of Eden, an earth the way it was meant to be. The forgiveness of sins, a new heart indwelt by the Spirit, peace and prosperity. The fourth major blessing that God promises in the Old Testament 
under this new covenant is that of a physical bodily resurrection to life eternal. No more will the curse of death and decay haunt people of God. No more death, no more decay. No more will there be valleys of dry bones. This too, this resurrection too is going to be mediated by this great king, the seed of Abraham, the seed of David. So, forgiveness of sins, a new heart indwelt by the Spirit, peace and prosperity, and eternal life. Can God be trusted? Essentially, we are looking at sin being taken care of once and for all. Not only that, but the possibility of sinning is totally eliminated because God himself dwells in us. Not only that, but Israel and the whole earth are vibrant with life, peace and prosperity with mankind, living together in harmony forever, all ruled by a great king and peace. <coughs> Sorry, a great king and priest. So the earth is filled with people who love God, people who glorify God, people who know God and bear his image forever. Again, that line from Habakkuk comes to mind. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. The promises made to Abraham have been lifted to an even higher plane. God continues to unconditionally work on behalf of his people. God promised he will do it. The seed of Abraham, the seed of David sits on the throne. The land is restored in peace and prosperity. Blessings are specified now. Forgiveness of sins, a new heart, the Holy Spirit, peace, prosperity and a physical resurrection from the dead. So when we look at the promises of the new covenant, let me ask us again, can God be trusted? We've seen God's infinitely good purposes. We've seen that the promises that God first made are still in play. Seed, land and blessing now much, much greater. But see, all of this sounds too good to be true. Sure, God's purposes are good and his promises are incredible, but anyone can do that. Anyone can make promises and talk, right? Where's the proof? Where is this proof of God? Where is this anointed king? Let's fast forward a few centuries. Take a look at the first words recorded in our New Testament. The book of the genealogy of Jesus, the anointed one, the son of David, the son of Abraham. There's the proof. There's the historical, physical king. The seed of Abraham, the seed of David. And he is much more. This seed is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And we need to see that this, this seed, Jesus, was not just another man like Adam. Where Adam failed as the image of God, Jesus went far beyond. Take a look at Hebrews 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens in the real Holy of Holies. Jesus, the royal son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one 
who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. So we have the seed of Abraham, the seed of David, but totally unlike their ancestors. He was innocent and utterly righteous. He never sinned, although he was tempted all his life. He had no need for forgiveness or a new heart. <coughs> he was righteous, obedient and without sin. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit and the first man Ben read that today. The first man to be resurrected physically from the dead, never to die again. He was the primary beneficiary of God's promises to Abraham and David. Behold our God. Behold the seed of Abraham and David. This seed was God the Son, the Son of God, fully man, fully God. Proof. Can God be trusted? If you take a look at, at Romans 5, Paul explicitly talks of two proofs of our hope in God's trustworthiness. Romans 5 verse 5 to 8. I'll read 5 and 8 as well. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Verse 8, but God proves his love for us. God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God proved his love for us in that while we were still wretched, the anointed seed, the anointed king, Jesus, the son of God, died for us. Paul tells us why we can trust God. Number one, the public person and work of Jesus. The public display of God's love on the cross. Number two, the personal intimate work of God the Holy Spirit pouring God's love into our hearts. We have something historical and public. You have something experiential and personal. Jesus, the cross and the Holy Spirit who is the down payment of all the promises not yet fulfilled. Proof. And this is important proof. Because if you remember the four in Jeremiah 31 34, it is not only when sin is permanently dealt with that any other promise can be fulfilled. <coughs> Let's look at the passage we read almost every Sunday to remember this new covenant at the Lord's table. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26 to 29. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink all of it, drink of it all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. When this righteous, obedient Lamb of God, when this righteous, obedient servant of God died, a marvelous exchange took place. God took all the sin in our accounts and transferred it to Christ's account. Christ then satisfied God's justice in our place. 
He drank the wrath of God deserved for us to the full and God took all of Christ's righteousness and transferred it to our account. All of this through faith, assuming we trust the powerful work of God through the Lamb of God, through Jesus Christ. Think about this. Assuming we have faith, our bank accounts are stuffed with the righteousness of this great suffering servant, of this great anointed king who is God himself. And when God looks at my bank account stuffed with Christ's righteousness, what do you think his emotion will be? God is seeing Christ's righteousness. The emotion will be pleasure. He can easily say to you, you are my son, you are my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. Do we know what it's like to live with God's pleasure shining over us? That's what Jesus achieved. Can God be trusted? Look at God's promises. Look at God, God's purposes. Look at God's promises. And look at God's proof. Can God be trusted? Look to Jesus. I beg of you, look to Jesus. Trust him. Because when you do trust him, God unites you with Christ. When you trust Jesus, you are in Christ Jesus. And look at what God offers to those in Christ Jesus. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ, the seed, the Messiah, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, so that we should be holy and blameless before him. Whatever Jesus enjoys as the seed of Abraham and the seed of David, so do I. If Jesus gets the blessing, so do I. If Jesus is righteous, so am I. If Jesus is a king, so am I. If Jesus is a priest, so am I. If Jesus is empowered by the Holy Spirit, so am I. If Jesus is the Son of God, so am I. If Jesus died to sin once and for all, so did I. If Jesus rose from the grave, so have I. Why? I am in Christ. Here are God's covenants again and, and I'll show them to you in order. We saw how Adam, Abraham, Noah, David and in between Israel as a nation tried and failed. And then we have the new covenant. Jesus, the seed, the son of God, the image of God. Jesus rules with his people, his brothers and sisters, those who believe. Jesus rules with his people to fill the earth, to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God as they live in his presence forever and reflecting. And here's the thing. All of this is just a tiny, tiny glimpse of the scope of what Jesus has done. Do we see it? What has God done in Jesus? Sin has been dealt with forever. Death has been dealt with forever. The futility of the soil has been dealt with forever. Humanity will rule as God's image bearers forever. 
God's presence will dwell with and in his image bearers forever. No more curse forever. And instead of the curse, we have every spiritual blessing forever. Can God be trusted? The one thing for us to do is to see. See God's purposes. See God's promises. And see God's proof. Hebrews, Hebrews 11 describes faith as, as the ability to see what cannot be seen with physical eyes. The heroes in Hebrews 11 are able to look up at God's purposes, look forward to God's promises and are able to look back at God's faithfulness and God's proof. Faith has to do with the eyes of our heart being enlightened, the eyes of our heart being opened to see. And this is critical. You see, if God has purposed, promised and proved himself trustworthy and incredibly trustworthy, if he is offering every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, if he is offering fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, if he is offering us himself, then the most obscene, disgusting and foolish response is to not trust him. And if I choose to turn my back on God, I inherit my salary. I inherit my portion. I get what God owes me. He owes me the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. My brother and sister, I beg of you, choose life. Choose joy and pleasure. I beg of you to trust this God who purposed, promised and proved himself in Jesus. Don't go to hell. I beg of you, don't go to hell. Look at God's purposes. Look at God's promises and look at God's proof. Look to Jesus. And for those of us who struggle with our marathon of faith, who wonder what God is up to, who wonder whether he really is trustworthy, those of us who sin because we just forget how wonderful God is. Here is the most practical application for us. Look. Look at God's purposes. Look at God's promises. And look at God's proof. Look to Jesus. We can run our race with endurance as we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, Endure the cross. What joy is set before us, you may ask. The earth filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Take a look, fast forwarding way ahead into Revelation 21. Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, 
and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was sitting on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their inheritance and portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Revelation 22.20 He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. There is the joy that is set before us. We look back to Jesus. We look up to Jesus. And we look forward to Jesus. Can God be trusted? We saw his purposes. We saw his promises. We saw his proof. We see Jesus. The new covenant mediated by Jesus the King is evidence that we can trust the God who purposed, promised and proved himself to us. The new covenant is evidence that we can trust the God who purposed, promised and proved himself to us. And the only thing left is to ask each of us, will you trust God? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you for all that you've done for us in Jesus. Blessed are you. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. We thank you, Lord, that in Jesus, the promised Son of God, the seed of Abraham, the seed of, of David, we have forgiveness of sins. We have a new heart indwelt by the Spirit. We have peace and prosperity and life eternal. We thank you because all of this was brought about by Jesus. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you would work in our hearts that our eyes may be enlightened, that we might see and know who you are and that we might be empowered by your incredible love, be so overwhelmed by your love that we might be able to reflect who you are day in and day out in our lives so that as we continue reflecting who you are, we would be the means through which the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters come the sea. Father, this is something only you can do. Only you can change our hearts. And so I ask you as your son adopted because of Jesus, 
to hear our cry, to open the eyes of our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.